Welcome to the Fantasy Football Zone. Hey guys, where else would you rather be? We'll be joined by RotoWire's Jerry Donabedian. What a piece of that championship! Put it in here. Also, we'll be joined by Dominique Claire to help you dominate your league. Let's get it started with PJ. Welcome back into the Fantasy Football Zone. This is PJ. Hope week one was successful for you. If not, well, here we are. Week two, we'll try to do better for you, all right? We're going to be joined with Dominique Claire. He's got some great info for you to use in week two, as well as rotowire.com's Jerry Donabedian as we get ready for the week two matchups. Now, I want to start off this edition of the Fantasy Football Zone podcast going over, well, some of the next-gen stats. Now, I know I'm not the most analytical guy in the world. I've seen what it's done to baseball and some of those numbers are now included into the fantasy game for baseball. Now, I don't see the NFL going that way. I like the fantasy game where we're at right now, but I look at some of these numbers and I do believe they can give you some tendencies to teams that can help you out determine, you know, what to expect from week to week. So, I wanted to start off with running backs and running backs that saw eight man fronts in week 1, you know, they stacked the boxes and obviously when they do that, you think your running back that you have, not going to have that well of a game. Well, not the case so much. Dalvin Cook, for example, in week one, he saw eight-man fronts 48% of the time, and he went off for 111 yards, two TDs, and I, what I would call limited time because that game got so out of hand, he wasn't playing in most of the third and fourth quarter. So, again, he had a very successful game. Again, eight-man fronts. So he's probably going to see that again against Green Bay coming up in week two. Other successes against eight-man boxes from week one. Derrick Henry. Now, he saw them 42% of the time for 84 rushing yards and a touchdown, plus he had that big 75-yard screen pass for a TD, and Henry's a guy they do load the box on in that Tennessee offense because they think he's the main guy, so he's going to have to keep doing that, but uh, that very encouraging sign that he saw that 42% of the time, and he was that successful in week one. Saquon Barkley, the Giants, that's much predicted. Eight-man boxes, he saw 36% of the time, and he went off for 120 yards, so again, there can you can succeed as the defenses are stacking those boxes. Now, here's a note also on a defense that used it a lot. Arizona, they used eight-man boxes, very high rate. In fact, the uh, Detroit running back, C.J. Anderson, and also Carrion Johnson, they had the highest rate among seeing eight-man boxes in week one. So expect more of that to come from the Arizona defense. And this week they go against Mark Ingram and the Ravens. So we'll see if Ingram can have success against it as Arizona it was a little bit successful against uh, using it against Detroit in week one. But to expect a lot of that for Mark Ingram to see the eight-man box from Arizona. Another stat worth looking at for QBs is time to throw, how much their offensive line is giving him to throw to you know make a successful play. And they start off with the leader here is Marcus Mariota, of all people. That Titans O-line, they led the way. They gave Mariota 3.06 seconds to throw the ball, which helped him out. Had 248 yards passing, three touchdown performance, pretty good performance for Marcus Mariota. Now, I'm not saying go pick him up, start him this week, but it's an encouraging sign to see his O-line gave him that much time. Number two on that list, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offensive line with 3.04 seconds against a very tough Bears D. And they're going to look to continue to do that again in week two versus the Vikings to give him much more time. And obviously looking for more offensive success this week after the uh, 10-3 contest to start the season. So if they continue to do that, it could be good things for Rodgers. Now on the other side of things, Jameis Winston, Tampa Bay line. Now they came in third. They gave Jameis Winston 3.02 seconds to throw. 
But that kind of worked against him as he threw three interceptions. Not really a good game for Jameis Winston. He'll look to bounce back against Carolina. Now for the wide receivers, the stat I like is the percentage of team's target yard. It can tell you how much of that team's passing offense was being targeted for that wideout. Raiders' Tyrell Williams, he led the category, seeing 60.6% of the Raiders' passing offense. Obviously, with the Antonio Brown situation, they needed to go on him and Darren Waller. And Tyrell Williams, again, 60% of the Raiders' passing offense went through him. Second on this list, very interesting, DK Metcalf half of the Seahawks. Uh, The rookie wide receiver was at 59.08% of the offensive passes going his way and heading in his direction. DeAndre Hopkins of the Texans was third at 55.72%. We expect that. Cody Lattimore of the Giants, he was fourth on this list. So Eli was looking for him a lot, and uh, he saw a lot of looks in uh, week one. Sammy Watkins, obviously huge day for the Chiefs. He rounded out the top five. Now some other notable wideouts from week one. Robbie Anderson of the Jets. Now I mentioned him. He saw 53% of the team targets come his way. Now again, he just had 23 yards, but we expect that to go up against the Browns defense that looked very shaky in week one. John Brown of the Bills. He was at 46% of seeing the team's passing yards come through him. And he had a big day, 123 yards and a touchdowns against the Jets. And DJ Moore of the Panthers, he was around the 45% mark, the team's passing offense going through him. Uh, He had 76 yards in week one, and he's got a very favorable matchup against Tampa in week two, and he'll look to improve on that. And finally, a big game this week for fantasy implications. It's Saints-Rams. We expect big numbers from all the players in this matchup, but just want to Kind of pump the brakes a little bit. Don't bank on this game winning you this week. Again, you're going to have to have all performances, consistency from all the way around. So don't think that Goff and Gurley and Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks and all those from the Rams are going to help you out. Same on the Saints side. Again, you're going to need consistency. So just don't bank on Saints-Rams as putting you over the top this week. It's time to dominate with Dom. All right, everyone, Dominique Claire here. Just want to talk a little fantasy with you for the week. So obviously I'm a Minnesota Vikings uh, blogger and fan, so let's address that first. I'm sure a lot of you were very disappointed uh, if you're a Stefan Diggs or Adam Thielen owner, especially if you're a Kirk Cousins owner, being that he only threw 10 pass attempts. Just want to let you know that is not going to be the norm. They are going to run the ball. The Vikings are going to run the ball more than last year. They're very committed to the run, but they absolutely handled Atlanta in every way possible. So do not expect them to only pass the ball 10 times. Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen are going to get theirs. They're going to get passes, especially this week against the Packers. Last year against the Packers, Kirk Cousins put up a big game. Adam Thielen had some huge catches. Those guys are going to have to come up big. I wouldn't be surprised if it was vice versa of last week, if it if it completely flipped and they threw a bunch just to throw the Packers off and be completely unpredictable. So I would say play both those guys this week if you have them in your league. Do not put either of those two on the bench, despite what happened last week. The Vikings are not going to just run the ball, run the ball. They're going to have balance, and that balance is going to come, and you're going to see that this week with those guys. So. I highly recommend to play Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, even though they might have lost you a game last week. And then the third receiver for the Vikings, um, Josh Doxson 
for now, who they just picked up. If you are high on him, I would wait until they we see how the Vikings are going to use him. They still have Chad Beebe at the three spot. He did not play a lot, but he played well, but he did not get really get any targets. So just those are, those are the two Vikings guys that I would stick with. The tight ends, they played all right too, but they also <laughs> did not impact the game very much. If you're a Kyle Rudolph guy, um, Irv, Irv Smith, unless you have to, I wouldn't play either of those two guys. Uh, let's just kind of dig into the guys that I think might impact week two. Um, one guy that didn't play at all in week one that I think you should play week two is Adrian Peterson. Uh, he had an issue with the coach where he was telling him that he wanted to play, play a lot last year, get the ball more. Coach Gruden then went in turn and made him inactive for week one. And then he went and had one running back get hurt and another one banged up. So here comes Adrian Peterson back again. I expect him to do very well. He was the eighth leading rusher in the NFL last season. And I don't see why that would change. I don't think Peterson slowed down a bit. That was just a personal decision. So if you are on the fence about Adrian Peterson, I would say give that a go this week. Another guy that uh, could potentially be a waiver wire pickup for you would be Giovanni Bernard with the injury to the starter over in uh over in Cincinnati, Joe Mixon, of course, if you would uh, have an opportunity to pick up Bernard, I would go that route because he's only owned in 19% of leagues right now, and he is going to be getting some increased minutes for the time being. So if you're hurting at running back, that could potentially be be a good pickup. Another pickup that you could potentially look at would be Carlos Hyde. He played really well for Houston. Uh, people didn't really expect that, being that he just came in, but him and Duke Johnson did very well together against the Saints. And Carlos Hyde, if you remember, he was a fantasy killer a few years ago so he may be resurrecting some of that old juice that he's got so that's one that you could look at putting in at running back there and then back to the Vikings for another running back that you could potentially look at Alexander Mattinson the Vikings draft pick this year rookie he is actually splitting carries with Delvin getting probably about a third of the carries and he looked good out there Um, he's going to get some touchdowns Uh, Minnesota likes him he's a good change of pace from Delvin Cook Um, Delvin Cook's obviously tore it up the first game and he looked great but uh, so that second round running back sometimes ends up getting a lot of the touchdowns and it always seems like the offensive line blocks better for the second running back so if you are deep and have a flex spot open this week I would maybe I would give Alexander Madison a shot um if you're obviously hurting at running back and you need one he's a guy that you could potentially put in as a potential uh, reward that might pay off or he could end up getting four points so <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get there but there's there is potential and then the last running back that I would potentially look at would be Rex Burkhead you can never count on the Patriots running backs but if you are in a PPR league he is going to catch some balls out of the backfield to get you five six points that way um and then some yards here about 40 50 yards he might pick up so he could get you around 10 points so that's one that with with Tom Brady you know is typically pretty consistent and then receivers outside of Vikings receivers I'm definitely could go John Brown for Buffalo a lot of people overlooked him because it is the Bills and they have a quarterback that is unproven and young but he did well last week he had 123 yards on 10 targets and I mean they got to pass the ball to somebody Brown's gonna looks like he's gonna be their main guy if he's still available in a lot of leagues for getting 100 over 100 yards uh, receiving I'm sure people are fighting for him right now but if he is available I would definitely put in a bid to get him 
for your league. And the same goes with Jameson Crowder. You know, the Bills and Jets are in about the same uh, position right now in that rebuild. And Jameson Crowder, he put up big numbers as well. So uh, he almost had 100 yards, 17 targets though. That's the number I like to see for fantasy for receivers. Um, that means he's going to put up points. So go after Jameson Crowder as well. And then the my last receiver that I'm going to recommend to go after is Marquise Brown. I'm sure everyone's fighting over him. A rookie, I actually drafted him in my league. It was a late, late pick. A keeper league is hoping that he turned out and he had a very good first week, 147 yards, five targets, four receptions. I expect a big season from him from Baltimore. Uh, a lot of people said Lamar Jackson, he's just a runner. Well, he proved that wrong week one. It was against the Dolphins, but I think that he's going to do very well. Marquise Brown is going to has a bright future ahead of him. So if he is available or someone's going to offer him up for cheap, I would go after Marquise Brown. Now, joining PJ in the Fantasy Football Zone, Rotowire's Jerry Donavidian. And once again, joining us from rotowire.com, it is Jerry Donabedian. Week one full of plenty of surprises, wasn't it, Jerry? Yeah, about as exciting of a week one as I can ever remember, both in terms of just the number of points scored and where some of the big games are coming from, uh, particularly rookies. Yeah, Jerry, in fact, let's go into that right now. Again, four rookies, over 100-yard performances in their debut. That is an NFL record. Again, A.J. Brown, Marquise Brown, Terry McLaurin, and T.J. Hawk. Out of those four guys, who do you think will be the most consistent performer throughout the season? Uh, I actually like Hawkinson, the tight end, uh, which, you know, historically looking at rookie tight ends, I, I certainly wouldn't have expected to say that. Uh, but just looking at, you know, his role in that offense, there was some concern after they signed Jesse James and they gave him a big veteran, a big contract. Kind of thought that that would hint at a timeshare between the two of them. What we actually saw week one was that Hawkinson was almost always on the field and that James mostly played in two tight end formations. So it's not, not just a case of like, you know, a guy making some fluky big plays. Like this guy was really their number one tight end, the number one draft pick, and they made an effort to feed him the ball and got great results. Uh, so I, I don't see any reason that they would you know, switch up from that in the coming week. Now, on the other guy's case, was it just because they had the big plays going for him? That's why they had the big yardage, especially in Marquise Brown's case when he was going against the Dolphins and we're finding out how terrible the Dolphins are. Or do you think they could have some consistency going forward, the rest of these receivers? Well, certainly. I mean, yeah, when we're talking about the 400-yard rookies from week one, A.J. Brown, Marquise Brown, Terry McLaurin, T.J. Hawkinson, they all had really long plays. I don't think any of them had more than five or six catches. Marquise Brown is going to be inconsistent week to week. That's the nature of his role. But I think in terms of looking at what he'll do over the course of the season, I think it's going to be pretty impressive. He's kind of a perfect fit for that Baltimore offense where they want to run the ball a ton. Then they need someone to keep defenders out of the box, keep them honest. I uh, might, might go back a little far the other way this week. Where, like They're more worried about Lamar Jackson throwing the ball than they are about the passing game. So I think that'll be a back and forth throughout the season where Brown uh, overall is you know a guy who you can put in your wide receiver three spot if you're willing to take a risk. The one I look at being more uh, difficult to replicate or fluke, if you want to say it, is A.J. Brown from the Titans. I think he's a great prospect and will be a very good player. But just kind of looking at the nature of that offense uh, and with Marcus Mariota being the quarterback, you know, he's, he's a quarterback who's really like struggled to support more than one pass catcher who is someone we can really put in our fantasy lineups. And I don't see Corey Davis going anywhere despite the slow start. And Delaney Walker looked like he was back to his usual self. And then you've also got like Adam Humphreys and Tajay Sharp not really making an impact, but taking a lot of that playing time that could have been going to Brown. 
Uh, so I just I think he's going to be more misses than hits this year. Maybe in the long term, a good guy if you're like in a dynasty league or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I certainly would have the other rookies higher on my list for who I'm going to pick up for week two and the rest of the season. Well, Jerry, you kind of led me into this one. So up next, Lamar Jackson and Dak Prescott. Perfect quarterback ratings. They put up huge numbers. But will that continue for the rest of the season? You know, I was pretty excited about both guys coming into the season. I actually have one league where I drafted both of them. I kind of waited on QB and took them, and I started Prescott over Jackson. And as I'm watching the game, I mean, I'm a Ravens fan, so I was thrilled, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I was like, man, I can't believe I, I didn't start my guy. Yeah. And then, of course, Prescott put up like similar numbers later, and I was like, oh, wow. Obviously not going to expect that level of performance from them every week. You know, like – uh, I don't think they're going to challenge Patrick Mahomes for that number one fantasy QB spot. But I do think that you're looking at, you know, both guys are kind of having offenses tailor fit to them now. The Cowboys brought in or promoted Kellen Moore to offensive coordinator, got rid of Scott Linehan. Uh, not really knowing, you know, if Ezekiel Elliott might miss games, I think that they tailored the offense to be a little more aggressive, pass the ball a little more. Uh, and with Michael Gallup really showing up as, you know, as their second year receiver. I think they've got some more weapons for the first time, really, since Prescott's rookie season. I think he'll have a very strong season. He's not going to, you know, not, not going to have 400 yards and four touchdowns every week, but uh, certainly should be like a startable fantasy quarterback unless he's facing a defense like the Bears. Well, I waited as long as I could before bringing up Antonio Brown, but uh, here goes now again, the big fallout. He got out of Oakland, got his wish. Now the accusations come out against him as well, so we don't know if he's going to be on the commissioner's exempt list or not. That's something the Patriots will have to figure out. But Tom Brady now, He's got to be a must-own quarterback. I know coming into the season, some of the ratings and rankings had him down in the 20s, but with the performance we saw Sunday night and this news, if A.B. is on the field with them, I mean, you got to own Brady now, don't you? I, I think Brady should still be owned in, you know, maybe maybe not in an eight-team league yeah. where you only start one quarterback, but I think in most formats. I mean, look, even with, you know, they were, I mean, they released Demarius Thomas, like, shortly before this, uh, or traded him to the Jets, I should say, shortly before the Antonio Brown news came out, but even without Thomas, and even if they don't have Brown, I mean, Julian Edelman, Josh Gordon, uh, and Philip Dorsett has really seems to have learned that difficult Patriots offense very well and become comfortable with Brady. We saw him score two touchdowns in their opener. I, I think, you know, probably 25 of the 32 teams in the league would trade their receiving cores for what the Patriots have. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got a strong offensive line and, you know, Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady running the whole show. Yeah, I think, you know, Brown would be obviously a huge boost if he is ever on the field. But even without that, uh, I think Brady is going to be a guy who's kind of like on the low end starter spectrum. I'd probably put him a little bit behind the two guys we just talked about, Mm -hmm. Prescott and Lamar Jackson. Uh, But certainly going to Miami this week, uh, still with good weapons around him, I, I think Brady will be fine with or without Antonio Brown. Now back on the Antonio Brown subject here, if you are an owner of Antonio Brown right now, what do you do with him? That's kind of the big question. Do you stash him on the bench? Do you trade him? If somebody sends you an offer, just get rid of him, get clean of this guy. What advice do you have for Antonio Brown owners right now, Jerry? Well, this is, this is a tough one. I mean, I think right now you're probably, if it's, you're going to be selling low. So generally, if like the news is negative, uh, I say, you know, if you've got him on your team, then probably hold him. I mm-hmm. uh, don't, in terms of proactively going out to try to trade for him, I'd probably be, probably would 
stay away from that. Uh, I think when people don't know what's going to happen, the tendency is for just everyone to not do anything. You know, it's hard to get someone that's willing to trade him or someone that's willing to trade for him. Uh, so I think I kind of just wait and see what happens here. Once again, talking with rotowire.com's Jerry Donabedian as we continue to recap week one, and we'll get you ready for those week two matchups coming up. Again, the backfield situations in Kansas City and in Houston. We'll start off in Kansas City. Damian Williams had a pretty decent game, had a touchdown called back. It would have been a bigger game, but is there concern there in Kansas City now as we saw LaShawn McCoy getting some of those touches? What do you think about that backfield situation right now in Kansas City? Well, LaShawn McCoy looks great. I mean, he was up around seven, eight yards per carry. Uh, had a couple, broke off a couple of longer runs. So certainly concern on that level from Damian Williams. Uh, but he, he still got about a dozen carries, and he still got six targets and caught all six of them. And I think really that's what's going to be the key is that, you know, for Andy Reid, his offense is about the passing game. He loves those quick passes. And even if McCoy is a better runner than Williams, Williams is still the guy that Reid trusts to execute in the passing game and execute the pass blocking if need be. Uh, so I think Williams is going to keep getting on the field. And, you know, when, Pat, when you're working with Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey, mm-hmm. uh, just just by being on the field, you kind of just hang out there. You end up scoring all these fantasy points. Uh, yeah. So I think that uh, I, I could see McCoy also being a guy that we're able to start. Like, if anything, this might be a backfield kind of like New England or New Orleans where we've seen in the past where you can start two guys in fantasy lineups. Uh, so, so not totally downplaying the concern for Williams, but I think, I think you'll see kind of more of, this, more of the stat lines like we saw week one where it's not quite on the level of, what we got from him at the end of last year and in the playoffs in terms of dominating the workload. Uh, but, but still, you know, 15 touches a week maybe. Uh, and even if it's a little less than that, you can still start him because it's going to be a very high ratio of touchdowns per touch in that offense. On to the Houston backfield here. I thought Duke Johnson could have a big game, but then Bill O'Brien, he puts in Carlos Hyde. In fact, Hyde gets the start. I'm a big Duke Johnson fan, Jerry, but am I going to have to deal with this all year long thanks to Bill O'Brien? Yeah, I think, I think you're going to have to deal with this all year. <sighs> I think we are. Uh, I, you know, who knows? So much changes. You know, One of them gets hurt, but yeah. something like that. Uh, but certainly you look at the Saints, and the past couple of years, especially last year, they were really tough against the run and very weak against the pass. So you would think that would point to like a, a big Duke Johnson game. Uh, and Johnson was a big part of the offense, don't yeah. get me wrong. I'm not I'm not burying him. But yeah, I was surprised to see A, Carlos Hyde getting as much playing time and as many carries as he did. And B, looking really good on those carries because the last couple of years, his various stops he's made around the league from San Francisco to Cleveland to Jacksonville uh, to Kansas City. Wow. It's, I, did I get them all there? I believe he did, yes. <laughs> I think I did. <laughs> Uh, he, he hasn't looked good. He's looked slower. He hasn't looked the way he did his first few years in San Francisco, uh, which is kind of unfortunate because his first few years he was good but yeah. always hurt, and then now he's been durable but not very good. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I think certainly looking at this week with the Texans being a big favorite at home against the Jaguars, now you have like that Johnson coming off maybe a disappointing game, and now he's looking at a game that probably fits better for what Hyde does in terms of the power of running. Uh, certainly the Jacksonville defense looked bad last week, but most defenses do against Kansas City. I think there's still some good days ahead for Duke Johnson, but in terms of the Week 2 matchup with the Texans being a heavy favorite, 
uh, and playing a team that last year they really tried to run Lamar Miller when they faced the Jaguars, uh, neutralize those cornerbacks that Jacksonville has and make them less of a factor. I think I think you could see the Texans coming out with like a, a heavy dose of Carlos Hyde early in this game, and you know Duke Johnson will still still get some work. But I'd be a little hesitant about him this week, at least. Also in week one, we got a better gauge of what some of these new offensive systems are going to be around the league that some of the new coaches are bringing in, especially in Arizona, the air raid offense that Cliff Kingsbury has brought in. Now through three quarters, it was a little sluggish, but then it picked up after that in the fourth quarter in overtime with Kyler Murray, 54 pass attempts. So what do we think so far, the air raid offense? And it looks like uh, this is going to be something here to stay and could benefit fantasy owners this year. Yeah, it was it was kind of like what uh, had been hyped during the offseason after they first first hired Kingberry. Uh, they used I think four receiver sets about three quarters, eighty percent of the time. Like they they barely used the tight end. Uh, a very heavy pass to run ratio, which we do need to caution. They were playing from behind pretty much the entire yes. game. Yep. So that's that's definitely a factor there. Uh, but even even looking at the first half, uh, definitely favoring the pass over the run. And not, that's not necessarily a bad thing for David Johnson because he's the only guy who got carries and he's getting targets in the passing game. So, like, really, he only needs, you know, if he's getting 15 carries a game, but he's, you know, their second, third option in the passing game, that's, that's perfect, especially for PPR league. Uh, and then on top of that, yeah, the pace, the pace was there. Like, they were they led the league, or I guess ranked, however you want to put it, fewest seconds per snap in the league, like about 22 seconds per play. Uh, again, part of that is the just the fact that so many of the passes were incomplete and they were playing from behind. Uh, but, yeah, certainly that's probably going to be the case throughout the season that uh, they do have a huge volume of plays because they're throwing so much. They're moving at a faster pace with no huddle sometimes. And there's going to be incompletions with a rookie quarterback in yes. this new system. In terms of the Cardinals, it was pretty promising. But who it's really promising for is whoever plays against the Cardinals this week, uh, because they're going to have like three and out drives that only eat you know ten seconds of clock. Yes, and it just gives the other team so many opportunities to get on the field. Like a normal normal game might have sixty five snaps per team. Uh, and you look at whoever's playing the Cardinals that week, you might expect another like five to eight snaps. Uh, and that, that can really make a big difference in the start-sit decision. And another one of those new systems in Cincinnati, they were throwing the ball around against the Seahawks on Sunday. And that leads me to the next question. John Ross, okay? High draft pick a couple of years ago. Injuries has really derailed his progress. Can we believe in him finally or not? I know he's been a popular pickup on the waiver wire this week. Uh, he, he was not my ad of choice on the waiver wire yes. this week. <laughs> I think just looking at a few factors, uh, he, he certainly played well. Don't want to take anything away from that. Uh, but he, he's one of those guys where like, not only has he missed games with injuries, but if you, if you look at the log of what the injuries did, it's, it's pretty incredible for a guy who's like only 24 years old. Um, obviously, very talented, incredible athlete, but just so many neck or uh, not neck, sorry, knee injuries yep. uh, over the years. It's just I think he's always going to be at a higher risk for missing games. And then it's some we look at you know at some point AJ Green is going to come back. I don't know if that's going to be like week four or five or week eight or nine, but it's probably going to happen this season. And unless Ross you know keeps putting up these kinds of games, he's going to be behind AJ Green and Tyler Boyd. And I, I don't think Andy Dalton's third receiver is, is necessarily a uh, role that we can capitalize on with our fantasy teams. Like he might be you know more of that like occasional deep threat type role. Uh, where temporarily they were forced to rely on him for more than that. So I'm not, not saying he's a, a bad guy to add. I just think there are 
so many other options this week. You know, we talked about Marquise Brown, Hawkinson, Terry McLaurin. Uh, there's just a lot of different directions you can go. And I think that uh, Ross may be the guy who's a little bit overhyped there compared to the others. Now, again, when we hit with this, a lot of the waivers are going to be snatched up this week. But uh, who are maybe some of those guys down the line you may be uh, taking a glance at for future waiver pickups? Yeah, so I actually didn't. I tried not to, for the most part, like burn my waiver priority this week Uh, because all of the hype about, you know, John Ross and Marquise Brown and Hawkinson, it kind of leaves some guys who normally would be top waiver pickups who you can just kind of, you know, if you woke up at a decent time in the morning, you can just scoop them up without burning that waiver priority. Uh, So the the guys that I went for were McCole Hardman looking at Tyree Kill about to miss a bunch of games. They're saying four to six weeks right now with the possibility for more. Uh, and Hardman didn't do anything against the Jaguars, but he did get a bunch of playing time. Uh, him and Demarcus Robinson behind Sammy Watkins. So I think he's definitely got a lot of upside. Rookie second round pick. He's he's not Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill because no one is with that speed, but he's kind of like the next best thing in terms of being able to do some of those things on end arounds and jet sweeps, and then also catch deep passes that Hill can do. Uh, So that's definitely a guy I'm excited about. And then we talked about Carlos Hyde before, and then Raheem Mostert uh, for the 49ers, sort of like the new, new backfield partner for Matt Breda was Kevin Coleman dealing with a high ankle sprain, probably out at least two or three weeks there. Once again, being joined by Jerry Donabedian, rotowire.com. All right, getting into week two, this Dolphins-Patriots matchup. I think this could be a fantasy trap game because you're looking at it, you're thinking, well, if the Ravens put up that many points against this awful Dolphins team, the Patriots should put up at least 80. Do you think this is a trap game? And the Patriots, they don't always play great in Miami. What's your thoughts on this one, Jerry? I don't think it's a trap game for the Patriots. I just think... I think the the Miami team is just so non-competitive. They they tore down a roster that was pretty pretty bad in the first place. So I think yeah, I think that that's going to be kind of a blowout, the same way everyone else expects. I think the spread now is up to nineteen points. I I don't. That's got to be close to a record. I wouldn't. I would just wouldn't recommend betting on that. There's not really any. I don't know how much track record we have of like games like that, and that is a lot. I mean, you can blow a team out and they score a garbage time touchdown mm-hmm. and field goal, and it you know ends yeah. up being a fourteen or seventeen point loss. Uh, so, having said that, I don't think it's a trap game for the Patriots. I do think it can be a little bit of a trap game for fantasy owners because I think we're you know we look at what Lamar Jackson did last week yes. and get excited about Tom Brady and the Patriots passing game. I'm not saying that necessarily keep Tom Brady on the bench. Certainly he's going to go out there and he's going to do some stuff early in the game. Uh, but just looking at the Patriots bigger picture goals, they, they probably don't want Brady dropping back 40 times and you know taking that injury risk every time that you do drop back uh in a game that they're pretty confident they're going to win anyway. Mm-hmm. I think we would see a lot of Sony Michelle early in this game. And then maybe later in the game, feel like you know Rex Burkhead and Brandon Bolden taking carries. I think it maybe doesn't worry me so much for Brady. I think he'll have the efficiency, but like it could be could be a rougher week for Julian Edelman just based on not getting a lot of opportunities. Up next, we head over to the Jacksonville, and with Nick Foles out, do we believe in Gardner Minshew and those Jacksonville receivers? Do they take a hit now with Foles' injury? He played really well. Uh, I mean, you know, from, from what I saw of the game, it was really impressive. I just can't. It's a rookie sixth-round pick. I just can't, you know, I can't really. I think that there's there's too much evidence suggesting that it was a fluke based on, like, what we've seen in the past. 
um, you know, he played really well over a sample of 25 pass attempts uh, and against probably what's one of the worst defenses in the league. Certainly was one of the worst defenses last year in the Chiefs. Uh, now he's, you know, going on the road to make his first start uh, against the Texans team that's heavy favorites. I just, I don't see, you know, I don't see it going well for him. He might be, might turn out to be that he's a, you know, a nice steal for the Jaguars with a sixth-round pick. Maybe a, you know, if you get a good backup there or a guy who can like make spot starts, that's definitely a, a huge success in terms of the draft spot. Uh, but in terms of his first NFL start, I would have modest expectations. The two players they do have some hope for for the Jaguars are D.D. Westbrook and Leonard Fournette. Because uh, we saw Minshew really throwing a lot of short passes. Uh, the, the couple he did try deep were very successful. But in terms of like his average target depth, it was only about six yards near the bottom of the league in week one. Uh, so D.D. Westbrook, the slot receiver, who gets a nice matchup with the Texans coming off a game that actually caused them to release their slot cornerback, Aaron Colvin. So now they kind of have a, an empty or question mark spot there. Uh, and then with Fournette, it's just they don't really have anything else. So he's going to get the ball, and uh, the Texans' defense is not great. So I think that they could really lean on him. Do you think the Steelers and the Bear offenses, who struggled mightily in Week 1, do they rebound this week? I certainly think the Steelers will rebound. Uh, you know, the, the Seahawks' defense, did not look impressive against Bengals by any means. Uh, I think they'll be okay, but they've definitely got some issues in the secondary. And looking at Pittsburgh, a team that wants to chuck the ball around, certainly the case against uh, the Patriots in the last year, because they're going to be able to take advantage of that. Uh, and I mean, you know, the on the road in New England, prime time week one, uh, going up against you know Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, like two of the uh, offensive and defensive geniuses of their generation of coaching. Uh, the Steelers don't have that level of coaching, and they've, we've seen them kind of get out-coached in big games a lot of times before. Uh, but in terms of the players they've got, they've still got a nice talent. Uh, I think I think they're going to beat the Seahawks this week, and Roethlisberger will bounce back. And with the Bears, we heard Trubisky now. He's the worst quarterback in the world. Uh, all the overreaction of Week 1. Uh, he's got a rebound this week, doesn't he? You know... Uh, uh-oh, question, de- <laughs> It's He's... Even last year, he put up some good numbers, but it was pretty, pretty like heavily slanted towards two or three really big games, and then the rest were kind of a mix of mediocre and bad. Uh, I think that you know Matt Nagy's offense does some clever things, kind of like the guy he learned under Andy Reid, where it gets you some easy completions, and he's got some guys like Allen Robinson and Cohen who are good players. But I think against tougher defenses, it's just you know it's easy to put Trubisky under pressure. And uh, how did, uh, was it Tremont Williams, I think, said that, oh, yep. we just had to force him to actually play quarterback. Yes. You know, it's kind of saying, if look, if this guy doesn't throw the ball within the first two, three seconds of the snap, get that quick read guy that's open, he doesn't, he doesn't make the right decisions. He takes bad risks. Uh, his mechanics get sloppy and the accuracy goes. So I think looking at this week at Denver, and I know they played very poorly against the Raiders. Uh, but they've still got a lot of talent there with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb as pass rushers and Chris Harris at cornerback. Uh, I think it's going to be another tough matchup for Trubisky. I don't think he's going to be a total disaster this season, uh, but but on the road in Denver isn't really a spot where I'd pick for him to bounce back. Uh, they'll put up more than three points, and I think they'll probably end up winning what should be like a very defensive-minded game. Uh, but in terms of like Trubisky for fantasy lineups, like I, I don't want him anywhere near my lineup. By the way, I should have listened to you. I, I did draft David Montgomery somewhat in the higher range. 
and and you were right. I think it, it it pained me after week one. I put him in the flex spot. I thought, oh, he's going to have a big opening debut. Rookie running backs usually do good on the opener. I'm thinking of Kareem Hunt a couple years ago, and uh, yeah, that burned me. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I still think that you know, over the course of the season, that that could end up, you know, he could end up being a valuable piece of the team. Like certainly the guy he's splitting carries with Mike Davis is not anything special, but I, I think that the, you kind of talked about Kareem Hunt and we've seen like Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb yeah. basically had two or three running back rookie classes come out of the draft that were like, in terms of the talent, well above the normal. And I think that has sort of shifted the expectations to being, and at the same time, weak classes for wide receivers. And so we sort of saw a few years back, the expectation was that, oh, guys like Mike Evans and Odell Beckham come in and are stars right away. And now it's kind of shifted back where people are very cautious of these rookie receivers and tight ends and very optimistic about the running back. And I, th- I think it's just one of those like kind of like coincidence things. Like we just happened to have a few drafts that were really, really heavy on the running backs and light on the wide receivers. And then this year it shifted back in the other direction a little uh, and looking ahead to next year, I know a lot of like the uh, college and draft analysts kind of say it's the same deal with really strong wide receivers coming out and you know maybe only one or two running backs that are worth the first round consideration. Keeping with the running back theme, Jerry, who do you like in matchups in week two? Uh, well, Mark Ingram for the second week in a row, highlighting and probably week in a row because he plays the East defense next. Uh, another guy I like who's maybe a bit more under the radar is Giovanni Bernard for the Bengals. Uh, Joe Mixon had the ankle injury against the Seahawks, and it looks kind of not clear if he's going to play. But even if he does play against the 49ers this week, I think that could be uh, a sneaky good matchup for Bernard. Like maybe they play Mixon, but they give him a little bit less playing time. Uh, And we've also seen that Bernard is one of the best pass-catching running backs in the league. And the 49ers are pretty good secondary, but weak at linebacker and a good pass rush. And that combination kind of tends to encourage teams to throw short passes. So I think that Bernard will be a a great play if Mixon is out and Phyllis play even and does end up playing. Do you have a third one for us? Because I really need help this week. I'm coming off a tough weekend. (laughs) Would say Carlos Hyde, but uh, I think we already. Oh, don't that tell one. me that. Uh, and I also like on the other side of that Bengals forty nine game. I actually really like uh, overall not a particularly good defense. Uh, looking at Breda only for decreased workload of Coleman out. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity in that Bengals Niners game. So consider Matt Breda for your lineups this week, Jerry. Let's move on over to wide receivers and who do you like here in Week Two matchups? One I really like is Dee Dee Westbrook. Uh, he was kind of disappointing. I think this week we see the Texans cut the slot corner like a, he spelled a guy I'd want. And again, being joined by RotoWire.com's Jerry Donabedian, what quarterbacks do you like in these Week Two matchups? I think Cam Newton, obvious bounce back spot. Uh, you know, you face yeah. historically put up huge. Tampa Bay. Moving over to the tight end position, what matchups do you favor this week? So I really like Washington tight end. I'm not sure whether that means Reed or <laughs> Vernon Davis. And Jerry, I think I'm with you on that one because that Dallas defense gave up a huge game in week one to Evan Ingram at the tight end position, so it could be a big game for Washington tight ends. Again, you're going to have to decide if it's going to be Reed or Vernon Davis for you this week. Moving on over, if you're streaming defenses like you do, Jerry, every week, what defense should you look at to pick up this week? 
Well, Houston is the one that is actually, well, was available in some leagues. I think at this point it's taken in most leagues. Most people are, I think most people share my thoughts on Gardner Minshew. Like, you know, congratulations for the great, you know, first game, but like chances are it ain't going to hold up. Uh, so the Texans are the first one. And then I think if you can't get to them, the teams that I'm looking at are the Cowboys and then the Bills. Uh, not only for having good matchups this week, the Cowboys play the Redskins and the Bills play the Giants, but you actually look at next week, uh, the Cowboys are home against the Dolphins, which I think we're going to see is like the, that's like the mother of all matchups this year if you're home against the Dolphins. Uh, and then the Bills, I can't recall exactly who it is, but I know they've got another soft matchup coming week three. Uh, so I, it's nice sometimes when, even though I do encourage that, like reassessing every week and dropping and adding with the defensive, it's nice if you can just like know that you've got your defense for the next two or three weeks. It doesn't usually happen that way for me, but I think this, this gives us a nice opportunity. I think, especially with Dallas, if you can lock in a matchup with Washington this week and Miami next week, uh, well, yeah, why not? And once again, you got more great stuff up at rotowire.com, including hidden stat lines in week one. Give us a little preview of that, Jerry. Yeah, so on the, the hidden stat lines, that's actually a new column that we're doing this year. Uh, and so I kind of look at, look kind of beyond, you know, the box or the catches, the targets, the carries, uh, even looking beyond just the snap counts, stuff, stuff like how many routes guys are running. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that can reveal some stuff. So like one big example this week was O.J. Howard, the Bucks tight end. He played 78% of snaps. So you might look at that and say, oh, you know, that's, you know, he didn't have a good week for fantasy, but he was, you know, he was out there and he was playing the way we expected. Uh, when you look a little bit deeper, they actually had him pass blocking on five or six of those snaps. And most of the snaps he missed were pass plays. So when they were in like third and long type situations, they actually would take him off the field sometimes for Cameron Brait, uh, which is the opposite of what you want with your yes. tight end. You know, you don't, I don't care if, if I have OJ Howard, I don't care if he's on the field when they run the ball. He can't get any fantasy points as long as he's out there when they're passing. Yeah. Uh, but that sort of deeper dive revealed that, like, oh, he was only out there for about 60% of their pass plays. Or someone like Mike Evans or Chris Godwin, the receivers, mm-hmm. were out there for like 95%. Uh, so I think that, that definitely kind of damages our projection of what Howard will do in the future in terms of his target volume. And then Cameron Bray catches the touchdown and it gets you even more mad. Yeah, that was say we've already. <sighs> It's sort of uh, it was sort of like the same thing that we had already seen in the past with Howard and Brait, uh, but based on how Bruce Arians used them in the preseason and sort of just like common sense in terms of like, hey, look at this OJ Howard guy. He's a hell of an athlete, and his you know in terms of his like yards per target and touchdowns per catch, his efficiency numbers had been great. So I think there was this expectation, uh, not not totally you know leaving that for dead or burying it. I think it could still play out that way by the end of the season. Uh, but in terms of like week two, I would start someone like Darren Waller, who was on the field for all of his team's pass plays, the Raiders, over someone like O.J. Howard. Uh, you're just maybe not quite as great of a talent, but there's just more more plays to work with, more opportunities to see. Well, always good stuff. Make sure you check it out, rotowire.com. Jerry, again, thank you very much for your time, and uh, best of luck this week. Yeah, good luck to you too.
Thank you once again for checking out the Fantasy Football Zone podcast, spending some time with us. Again, you can always review us and subscribe to us where you get your podcasts. You get the latest episodes right when they become available. And you can always join us on Twitter again at DraftThatGuy. Taking your sit or start questions, we can help you out. Try at least the best we can, all right? So again, we'll look for you at DraftThatGuy on Twitter. This is PJ, Fantasy Football Zone podcast. Subscribe to the Fantasy Football Zone and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Follow us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Football Zone podcast.